1: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web only sports show from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton. On the show this week, Canterbury prepares to farewell two of its greatest All Blacks when they take on Argentina in Christchurch. It's been a horror week for New Zealand football after the under 23 men's national side was disqualified from the Pacific Games. Three black caps, including captain Brendan McCullum, are owed thousands of dollars following their team's expulsion from the Indian Premier League. It's a welcome return to the Silver Ferns World Cup team for Grace Rasmussen, and we hear from New Zealand swimmers Lauren Boyle and Mary Fisher. Tonight marks the start of the 2015 Rugby Championship, when the All Blacks take on Argentina at AMI Stadium in Christchurch. In what could be called the first real test of the World Cup year, it is expected to be a memorable game for many reasons. For two players, Hollanders wing waisaki no Holo and Crusaders hooker Cody Taylor, it marks the start of what is hopefully a prosperous career in the black jumper. For two others though, it signals the end of their career. A sellout crowd is set to farewell Dan Carter and Richie McCaw. It's the pair's final match as All Blacks in Christchurch. And while hometown emotions are likely to run high, the two legends of Canterbury rugby are keeping cool heads going into the showdown with the Pumas. Sally Murphy reports.
2: It's the All Blacks' first test in Christchurch since they played France in 2013, and it's likely to be Dan Carter's and Richie McCaw's last time playing on home soil. McCaw says his sole focus is the game, but he might take a few moments to reflect on his Canterbury history after the match.
3: I, I want to make sure that from a personal point of view and a team point of view we, we play well. That's, that's the bit that get you get a smile on your face afterwards. And Uh, tomorrow is exactly like that and
4: um, that's about as far as I've thought.
2: Although wearing the black jersey tonight, it's his home crowd that have watched him captain Canterbury to the National Provincial title in 2004 and lead the Crusaders to win three titles that will be cheering him on. Some young fans have been watching him play their whole lives. It's pretty sad because this is where they've been playing for Heaps of years and this is like one of their home places that they play. Who's your favourite player? Um, Richie McCaw because, because he's the um, goodest kick in the world. Dan Carter made his debut for the Crusaders in 2002 before being selected for the All Blacks in 2003. Carter says he has had to buy a few extra tickets for the game as his teammates from Southbridge Rugby Club in South Canterbury are coming to support him for his last home match.
5: One part I love about playing here in Christchurch and I have right throughout my career is you know, playing familiar uh, stadium, you know stadium that I love playing in and, and fr- in front of your, your friends and family and, and also the, the awesome supporters that we have here in Christchurch.
2: Canterbury Rugby's Chief Operating Officer Hamish React says the pair are some of the best, if not the best, Canterbury and New Zealand have ever seen.
3: Oh well, it's just been massive, hasn't it? In the last 14, 15 years of... Two of the world's premier players right here uh, in, our, in our backyard, and we've enjoyed the performances. More than that, though, we've, en- we've enjoyed the way in which they've gone about their playing and, and living.
2: Hamish Riak says it will be hard for anyone to live up to their achievements.
3: Through history, you have you know, generational players that you know, make a, a, a massive contribution, and when their time to move on comes, you know, other players step forward and, and take, take the spot that they've left. They're certainly incredibly difficult uh, players to replace, but that's just the challenge for for the next group to, to slot in and make their contribution.
2: After this year's World Cup, Carter will move to France, while McCaw is yet to make a decision on his playing future. The hometown fans are hoping their two favourite players are instrumental in securing another All Blacks win tonight. The match kicks off at half seven.
1: And following on from Sally Murphy's report... Dan Carter has told the media the significance of the occasion
5: hasn't been playing on his mind. Not really something uh, well for me personally that I you know, think a lot about it. It's more after the game that uh, you know your emotions start to kick in, and you know I learnt that from you know the Crusaders and you know, lean into you know my last game or my last games with the Crusaders. It didn't really affect me sort of too much, and I was just worried about you know what I needed to do to help the team perform, and then. After the game, it's when the sort of emotions uh, kick in a little bit more and, and this week's been exactly the same. You know, I haven't really thought too much or got, um, you know, too worried or thought too much uh, about, um, I guess, sort of what this, this game actually is uh, on a personal level, but, you know, I'm sure afterwards, you know, when you see a few of your friends and family and, and reflect, uh, you know, on the career a bit more, it, it you know, might mean a little bit more. Family, half uh,
0: the Southbridge
5: rugby club will be there. Yeah, I had to buy a few extra tickets just to, to keep everyone happy, uh, you know, for this game. So, no, it's uh, one part you know I love about playing here in Christchurch, and have right throughout my career, is you know playing um, familiar uh, stadium, you know, stadium that I love playing in, and in, fr- in front of your your friends and family, and, and also the, the awesome supporters that we have here in Christchurch.
0: There's a lot more structure in the way the Argentine side so go about their business and perhaps what you experienced last week. In some ways, does that make it a little easier to plan?
5: Potentially. You know, that I think it might be a bit more sort of attacking threat. You know, they really pride themselves on their kicking game and not only sort of high kicks, long kicks, but also, you know, the sort of little attacking kicks as well. And and uh, from watching them recently as well, look at some of their footage, they, they love to use the ball a bit as, as well. So, you know, they're going to be a real threat. Um, you know, tackling-wise, probably a little bit more than, than what we're used to of previous years. We're, you know, a lot more sort of forward-orientated, so defensively, you know, if you're right on our go. All Blacks first five, Dan Carter. It's
1: been a week to forget for New Zealand football following the disqualification of the National Men's Under-23 side at the Pacific Games in Papua New Guinea. Following a protest from Vanuatu, New Zealand were expelled from the qualifying final on Sunday after an Oceania Football Confederation disciplinary committee ruled defender Declan Wynne, who was born in South Africa, was ineligible. Wynne moved to New Zealand when he was 14. He has no family connection to New Zealand, but he does hold a New Zealand passport and is a citizen. Under Statute 7 in FIFA's Guidelines on Player Eligibility for a Country, If a player is born outside of the country they wish to play for, they must live there for five years following his or her 18th birthday. The under-23 side bet Vanuatu in the semi-finals, but the IFC awarded Vanuatu the victory following their protest. Fiji went on to win the final on penalties and to advance to next year's Rio Olympics. New Zealand Football is now launching an appeal against the Oceania Football Confederation's decision to expel the Olly Whites from the final, as well as the appeal around the eligibility ruling. New Zealand Football Chief Executive Andy Martin says it's been embarrassing for everyone involved at NZF.
5: This is a costly mistake if it's proven to be a mistake. If the lawyers tell us we've made a mistake, we'll do the necessary to put it right and, and we'll take the appropriate action. But right now we believe we followed the rules, we believe we did everything we can and we did what was asked of us.
1: Andy Martin says the disqualification has NZF second-guessing the eligibility of other players representing New Zealand.
5: We've got to look at all players in New Zealand that are representing us to make sure they're clear, and we'll be doing that as a matter of priority. We'll be looking at all of the players. We've got to make sure, I think the Under-17 World Cup is, is coming very soon. We've got to make sure that we haven't got any further problems stored in there if the decision goes against us.
1: Andy Martin says if it's found that New Zealand is in the wrong, then they will launch an internal investigation into how this issue arose. Meanwhile, Fiji football is confident it won't lose its place at the Rio Olympics and be replaced by New Zealand. The Oceania Football Confederation is standing by the disqualification, which means the matter may ultimately end up before the Court of Arbitration for Sport in Switzerland. As stated earlier, Fiji won the tournament and qualify for the Olympics, and Fiji football president Rajesh Patel did not believe that would change.
3: They have got uh,
0: all the rights to go through it, but uh, we, as far as we know, we have qualified legitimately, and uh, we we are there, we're going to Rio. Uh, Oceania football knows that, no, we have qualified and we are through.
1: Rajesh Patel says while he can understand New Zealand's ill-feeling towards the decision, the rules are clear.
0: Every country has to follow the rules and uh, if you don't follow the rules, uh, it's very clear the FIFA will take action on it and uh, if the country protests against you and uh, if it's found right, you will be disqualified and they must have found the evidence and the onus was in on New Zealand to prove that yes, the player had the eligibility to play for New Zealand.
1: Fiji football president Rajesh Patel. New Zealand football have until Monday the 27th of July to launch its appeal. And you're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports show brought to you by Radio New Zealand Sport. Three New Zealand cricketers, including black Caps skipper Brendan McCullum, have found themselves embroiled in the latest corruption scandal affecting the sport. The Chennai Super Kings and the Rajasthan Royals are on the verge of being expelled from the IPL because of a betting scandal involving the club's owners. McCullum and Matt Henry play for Chennai, which is coached by former New Zealand captain Stephen Fleming, while Tim Southey plays for Rajasthan. The New Zealand Cricket Players Association Chief Executive Heath Mills told Stephen Hewson the trio have simply been caught in the fallout of an Indian investigation.
3: For the players, it's it's all a bit up in the air. Um, We might see a situation where the two teams um, are moved from their current owners uh, and then bought by other potential owners, so the players might, in effect, just end up moving with uh, the two teams to, to new ownership or um, the players' contracts may well end up being terminated uh, by the BCCI, uh, which would mean they may have to go back into a player auction early next year.
0: Where where does the problem centre? Where where do these corruption allegations come from and evolve?
3: This is a a long-standing inquiry um, that's come from the Mudgal Committee, which is set up by the Supreme Court in India close to 18 months, two years ago go now to to investigate the allegations around corruption and and, uh, representatives of team owners betting on matches in in the IPL a couple of years ago. So the the wheels have turned quite slowly um, and these appear now to be uh, the recommendations that have come from that inquiry uh, by that committee. Uh, So uh, we're not across the detail of the recommendations. We're we're working to try and establish a bit more facts or a bit more of the facts around the recommendations and what it may mean um, for obviously the IPL and and our players who are are affected. What
0: have the players said, the, the New Zealand players, the likes of Brendan McCullum, Tim Southey that you've spoken to?
3: They're obviously disappointed that this is a bit, makes um, you know their, uh, their environment a bit uncertain now they're obviously not sure whether they're going to end up playing in the IPL next year or whether they'll go back into an auction or whether uh, they'll end up remaining with this team and this team could potentially um, that, that they play for now could end up uh, being bought by new owners. One thing we do know is that the IPL is extremely successful it it's, um, does exceptionally well commercially and financially so I've no doubt that the, the Indian Cricket Board will want eight teams to remain in the IPL um, and, you know, and if it's, they don't, these two franchises don't remain with the current owners then I'm sure that they will look to sell them to new owners um, I suspect we won't know exactly the outcomes there for a, for a wee while yet
0: What about financially? Where are they at? Have, are all their payments up to date?
3: As is always the case with the IPL contract, the payments are staggered over the course of the year and and, um, some of the players are still owed some money uh, relating to the previous IPL. So we'll need to work that through for them. Uh, The IPL playing contract is actually a three-party contract with the player, the franchise, and also the BCCI, the Indian Cricket Board. So um, in terms of any monies that are owed to players, uh, the BCCI would have to take some responsibility there. So we just need to wait and see um, where this ends up in the coming weeks and months and then look to assist the players to to um, to, to ensure that they receive the monies they're owed from the last IPL um, and hopefully help them navigate their way through whether they're going to be in an auction next year or ending, ending up with a new team.
0: So some of those payments are already passed due, are they?
3: Yeah, and that's not not atypical uh, for the IPL and the and, and the and the contracts. The players uh, always end up being paid, but sometimes it's not necessarily on time, um, and that's not an uncommon problem. So that in itself isn't alarming. Uh, we we just need to to make sure that they are all paid what they're owed. We're
0: talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in these cases too, though, aren't we?
3: Uh, in some cases, yes. Not not in all cases. Uh, it's you know, some players, as we know, are. Very well remunerated uh, within the IPL uh, through the playing agreements. So, and the payments are uh, broken into four payments, and they're made over the course of a 12-month period. So, um, yeah, that's uh, we just need to make sure that all the payments pertaining to the previous contract period are paid. We're reasonably comfortable that they will be because the BCCI, I mean the Indian Cricket Board, is a party to the contract and they're not going anywhere. So it just could get a little bit messy if the two teams end up being removed from the IPL or their ownership changes hands.
0: At what point would you become concerned? I mean, are we talking a month from now if the money still hadn't turned up?
3: it would be a couple of months from now I'd start to be concerned. I mean, it's not uncommon for payments to players uh, to be a couple of months behind
0: schedule. But what about Brendan McCullum? How's he feeling? Because given that he's found himself... Around the edges of the Chris Cairns case, and and now another corruption scandal involving a team that he plays for. I mean, there's no suggestion of his involvement, but he seems to be getting dragged into things.
3: Oh, look, I, I think uh, you know Brendan's pretty philosophical, and you know this obviously is unfortunate. Uh, this these events um, occurred prior to him playing for the for the Chennai team, as I understand it. Um, and yeah, you know, it's unfortunately it's uh, an issue that our players have had to deal with over the years within cricket. Um, the important thing from our point of view as an organisation is that our guys are well educated, uh, which we're very confident they are now, much better than we have been previously. Uh, they're well educated; they know what to look out for, and that they avoid any situations around corruption. It's you know obviously difficult uh, in some environments, but um, you know, we're pretty confident in our guys now and. You know, Brendan, you know, will be disappointed with what's happened, um, but he's currently playing in England um, and he will philosophically, um, I guess, have to uh, prepare himself for potentially being with Chennai next year with a new owner or maybe the status quo remaining or, or going back into the player auction. Um, unfortunately, you can't, you know, players can't necessarily stop um, these things from happening. They happen around them. they are just got a part of the environment. You've got to deal with it.
1: Heath Mills of the New Zealand Cricket Players Association talking to Stephen Hewson. Silver Fern's mid-quarter Grace Rasmussen has spent the past four years in and out of the New Zealand team due to injury. And after last year's heavy defeat to the Australian Diamonds in the final of the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, Silver Fern's coach Wai Timonu recalled Rasmussen to the side ahead of this year's Netball World Cup in Sydney. It's a welcome return for the 27-year-old, who was unfortunately ruled out of the last World Cup in 2011, when she suffered a season-ending injury to her ACL, I caught up with Rasmussen while the Silver Ferns prepare for their three-test series against Fiji and South Africa starting next week, and asked her what it's like to be back in the New Zealand Netball World Cup team.
6: I was really disappointed obviously missing out in, in such a crucial team, but um, yeah, I think that I've um, put in the hard yards and you know I've backed myself and I've um, put my best foot forward um, for this campaign, and you know thankfully I've been given the opportunity to um, play at the world champs this year.
1: And what sort of uh, what sort of words of uh, encouragement I suppose have why given you over the last few years leading up to the World Champs this year?
6: Um, yeah, obviously, um, I've had a few things to work on, um, you know, since the last World Champs, and um, it's just making sure that I've gone away and um, try to, um, you know, improve that And I think that um, personally, I've I've had a few things that I sort of wanted to um, set myself and obviously achieve. And I think that uh, I've come quite a long way since then. And um, yeah, so it's pretty positive. Um, just making. Um, as I said before, been given the opportunity to to represent new Zealand
1: and what were some of those goals that you set yourself in the lead up to into the world Champs this year?
6: Um, I think consistent consistency was a main one. I think that um you know I tend to Perfect. Good games, and then sort of drop back. So it's just making sure, um, particularly in the ANZ chance season, leading you know obviously to selection and trials. Um, I was wanting to make sure that I main con- maintain consistency. So I was just making sure that I, you know, um, centre pass received is quite an important stat. Um, you know, possession rate, um, feeding into the circle. So it's just those sorts of things that um, I was you know obviously working on. And, and yeah, thankfully, um, my stats you know proved to be quite well you know this season, and um, you know hence the result in selection into the team.
1: And uh, so going into the uh, into the World Champs, or in the build-up, what's the fitness like? You're feeling uh, like your body's at 100% going into it
6: yeah definitely you know um, this is such a pinnacle event this is what you you know train hard for we'll wake up every you know early every morning um, in order to uh, represent your country at these kinds of tournaments and you know I've put in the hard yards and I need to back myself and just know that you know I've, I've conditioned myself I've um, made sure that all my injuries and my little niggles are attended to and we've got such a great management staff here that you know are on top of things you know before they become bigger issues so yeah no I'm 100% percent confident in my abilities um, moving forward.
1: Silver Fern's mid-quarter, Grace Rasmussen. The country's best swimmer, Lauren Boyle, says she's not likely to come home anytime soon. Since November, Boyle's been training at the Gold Coast's Miami Swimming Club under Australia coach Dennis Cottrell. She's building towards the upcoming World Championships in
4: Russia. Richard Wayne reports. Lauren Boyle's planning to continue training with the highly rated Dennis Cottrell at Gold Coast after the World Champs, which take place from later this month. Boyle couldn't find the high performance coaching she needed here and that's largely due to the departure of Swimming New Zealand's well-regarded high performance coach Mark Regan who left two and a half years ago. The 27 year old admits that's had a big effect on her but it's not all bad.
7: Well yeah it has affected me because I've had to move to Australia but I think that's also been a good thing for me as well. In New Zealand There aren't that many club situations where swimmers can excel. There are a few, but not that many do the work that you need to do to be at the top of the world. For me, it worked really well being in the Centralised New Zealand programme before the Olympics when we had Mark Regan as the coach because he was so experienced and able to help all the swimmers there improve so much. It really depends on the circumstance of each country. I guess at the moment, for me, I'm really lucky that I can come over to Australia and take advantage of the club situation they have here.
4: Lauren Boyle says working with the Australian coach Dennis Cottrell alongside the likes of Olympic triple gold medalist Grant Hackett will give her the best chance of success.
7: I really enjoy training with Dennis Cotter. He's a a really great guy and quite inspiring in the way that he coaches his team. He's also created a really great environment for high performance training at the club. So the attitude of my club teammates here is really good and I enjoy being around other people who are chasing similar goals to me, I guess. Swimming outside is pretty luxurious for a New Zealander because in Auckland all our pools are covered except for the Parnell (laughs) baths. Just a side note. But on a more serious note, it's, it's very easy to compete over here because the competitions are deep and that easy to get to I guess Australian swimming in particular in Queensland has a really big legacy of being a powerhouse and it, there's a lot of history in this area of the country especially in swimming
4: Following her fourth place at the 2012 London Olympics in the 400-metre freestyle, Boyle claimed three medals at the World Championships in Barcelona the following year. She then won the 400 at the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow in 2014. Boyle also broke the world record that year in the 1500 freestyle, so it's no surprise her goals have cranked up a notch or two for the upcoming World Champs in Kazan.
7: High expectations can be very good and very bad at the same time, so I try to make sure that I almost don't put too many concrete expectations of what things are going to be like and how it's going to feel when I'm there. But for me, the biggest thing that I can do and the most exciting thing that I can do for myself is to swim faster than I've ever swum before. And that's the best feeling that will get me the best results possible. And that's what I'm going to try to do.
1: The FINA Swimming World Championships start on July 24th in Russia. And sticking with swimming, New Zealand Paris swimmer Mary Fisher is enjoying a successful trip to the IPC Swimming World Championships in Glasgow. 22-year-old Fisher has picked up three gold medals and one silver in the four events she's competed in. Eleven medals have been won by New Zealand so far, five of them have been gold. Sophie Pascoe and 16-year-old newcomer Nikita Howworth are the other two swimmers to pick up golds. The results mean New Zealand have five spots so far in next year's Rio Paralympic Games. While her wins don't guarantee Fisher one of those spots, she's determined to make the team again.
8: I would love to go to a second Paralympic Games. London was just incredible. It's so different from going um, to a world champ swimming meet. You've got 4,000 athletes and just this intense village where everyone is is kind of semi-partying and semi-preparing for their races and it's just a unique environment, being in an Olympic or Paralympic village.
1: And uh, what has uh, the mood been like in the uh, New Zealand camp this week? So I imagine, uh, with so many medals, uh, there must be quite a few happy faces around around the uh, camp.
8: Yeah, it's been very good. And the other thing is that we have, you know, been training overseas as a team now for quite a while. So you, yeah, there's lots of banter and antics and, and fun things that go along with that. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been really nice seeing the younger athletes, especially you know, come into the fold and and just having fun and training hard and then seeing these results this week.
1: And um, obviously, winning all that gold, those three golds, is quite impressive. Going into the event, were you feeling 100% physically? Like you felt like your swimming was at your best?
8: Yeah, it's, it's interesting coming coming into this. Um, competition because I hadn't done that much racing this year, so I felt as prepared as I could have been, um, but there's definitely a lot of work to, to do going forward to Rio for myself, um, which will involve a move from Wellington to Auckland and, and training with my coaches based up there, and um, it'll, be, it'll be nice to be training with one-on-one, you know, face-to-face with him rather than doing a little bit of to and Um So yeah, I did feel prepared going into this week, and it's it's wonderful to see what is just happening, and um and, yeah, exciting for myself and the rest of the team going going into Rio.
1: And uh, what are some of your goals from here moving into this year and next year? Uh, you mentioned that you're going to be moving to Auckland. Is there is there any more racing mm. on the cards?
8: Yeah, so this year, um, after we finish racing this weekend at World Champ, I'll just yeah take a couple weeks off. And for the first time since 2007 when I made my first um, international team, I'm actually, yeah, going to stay over in Europe or wherever we've been racing. We nearly always come back the day after racing for New Zealand. So just taking the opportunity to see a couple of friends and do a little bit of training. But then I'll be back and racing at New Zealand Short Course uh, in mid-August. So that will be the next kind of racing on the cards for all New Zealand swimmers, able-bodied and para swimmers. So that'll be good. Um, And then just talking over options with my coach in terms of what other racing we do this year and next year and looking at those selection events for Rio.
1: Mary Fisher there speaking from Glasgow. And that's our show for this week. Feedback is always welcome via Twitter and our email radioNZ.co.nz I'm Matt Chatterton, bye for now.
0: I'm Nick Friedman.